Coming up on today's show, Scott Aitchison, a leadership candidate for the Conservative Party of Canada, will join us to outline his view for the country. We'll also talk with Lauren Boothby, a reporter with the Edmonton Journal and Edmonton Sun on the work she's done around do not rent lists. And astronauts suffer bone loss, a lot of it, while they're in space. Could be a big problem. We'll find out why. So we're going to chat now with Scott Aitchison, who is one of the candidates in this race, one of the people who wants to be leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Jay, thank you for having me. It's an, an honour to be here. Uh, well, uh, just give us your take on what's going on. It has been uh, a week like I, I can't really remember in a, in a federal leadership race in some time, a pretty big detour. What, what's your thoughts on what's going on with this leadership race this week? Well, I think it's based on the entire leadership race. It's been uh, less than respectful, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that what you know, Canadians are sick and tired of is the games that get played at the uh, political level in Ottawa, and that uh, that includes our party. And so, you know, the the mudslinging, the name calling, and the nastiness of this campaign, uh, I've stayed away from it. Completely focused on ideas and policy solutions to the problems that Canadians face every single day, whether they live in you know big cities or rural areas or the north or east or west. It doesn't really matter. Focus on policy and not uh, not name calling or. Uh, deriding my my opponents in the race. Um, I'm just wondering, because I I know during the very first debate that was held, uh, right at the very beginning, that was sort of your message was, hey, we need to be careful. We need to watch our tone. We need to watch the divisiveness. Obviously, it hasn't worked, as you say. Um, How much damage do you think might be done here? Are you, how concerned are you about this? Well, I'm I'm concerned enough about it generally that I I continue to do what I'm doing. And I think that uh, as I continue to speak to issues that you know affect canadians and talk to people across this country i happen to be in calgary right now i'm excited to be here for my first stampede and as i go around all the various different events people are coming up to me and saying thank you for talking about real ideas and solving problems so i i think that you know the more the games get played the more there are problems um you know with this race and the way other candidates treat each other the 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 more people take a look at me and say hey wait a second Mm -hmm. scott's right the tone matters you know we we need to win seats in places where we don't win and tone makes a difference in the gta the lower mainland in large urban centers we lost seats uh in edmonton and calgary this last election we can't afford that and tone matters uh and the message that we are delivering has to be consistent we haven't been doing that and certainly is not what's going on during this leadership race that's why i'm proposing ideas solutions uh, and i'm proposing them without trying to demonize one group of canadians over another that's what Canadians are looking for. That's how we'll win the next election, with me as leader doing exactly that. Yeah, and Scott, I want to talk to you about some of your ideas in just a moment. Last question about this, and then we'll leave it, because I do want to hear sort of what the plan you have is. Um, there's been allegations from uh, Patrick Brown's camp that um, Pierre Polyev is the chosen candidate of the party, and they're doing everything they can to install him. Are you confident in the fairness of this race? The, the rules are the same for everybody. I'm, you know, I'm following the rules. I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned at all about any of that stuff. I'm not focused on the the internal politics of the party. I'm focused on Canadians. That's my complete focus. I'm I'm not interested in what they're talking about with each other. How do you return the Conservative Party to power in this country? As you know, that's a, I mean, we're talking about it. It's it's very divided. The the whole political climate is divided right now. As a leader, how do you sort of not only bring the party together but bring the country together? Well, and it starts with just that, Jay. Like you said, it's got about bringing the party together, bringing the movement together, bringing conservatives together from you know, from all spectrums, from all parts of this country. 
but it's also about our caucus. You know, we need we need to make sure that our caucus is united. And and I've said over and over and over again that unity does not mean uniformity. We're not all going to agree on every issue. There are a lot of diverse opinions in our conservative movement, and that's a good, healthy thing. That's good for debate. It's good for democracy. It's good to make our movement stronger. But you can't just ignore people you don't agree with in this movement. And that's why I keep talking about unity, because we have to listen to each other and find the common ground where we do agree and build a platform that builds that unity and actually delivers a message that Canadians will trust. We can't be flip-flopping either. That's one of the other challenges we had in the last mm-hmm. election campaign. We, if we don't have a consistent uh, and you know policy-oriented message that's very conservative, uh, that that speaks to the values of Canadians across the country and speaks to the issues that Canadians are facing. You know, listen, we actually have a really good message on, on the issues that Canadians are facing, whether it's the affordability, putting food on your table, putting gas in your car, trying to get to work, trying to, you know, make sure that you have meaningful employment, making sure that all sectors of this country are firing on all cylinders, respecting the, the rights and the, and the responsibilities of provinces. These are all important messages that, as conservatives, we should own them. And, and if we have a consistent message, we will win seats in those parts of the country that, that care about these issues, but we haven't sp- spoken to them about them. Uh, Scott, as you know, we have a leadership race at the provincial level right now in this province, and one of the issues uh, that has come to light and sort of the forefront and one of the biggest issues among all the leadership candidates is uh, relations with Ottawa, getting a better deal from Ottawa, getting a fair deal from Ottawa, fighting with Ottawa in some instances, refusing to enforce federal laws in some instances. Talk about how you would uh, handle not only the provinces, but specifically Alberta and some of the issues that around this province and their relationship with Ottawa should you become Prime Minister? Well, you know, here's, here's what I think. I don't think Alberta wants a special deal. I think Alberta, like a lot of other provinces, are sick and tired of special deals for other places. Uh, you know, I, I, think, I think it's time for a fair deal from the federal government with all the provinces. And there are countless examples where the federal government has made deals with the provinces on all range of, respect, of, of provincial responsibilities, starting with health care where we, we created this system of health care across this country, predicated in part on the federal government paying 50% of the cost. And, of course, they've never lived up to the promise. And so now you see a situation where you have federal politicians trying to buy votes by, by delving into provincial responsibilities, this, that, and the other thing. And they promise to, you know, make things amazing by paying 50% of the cost. And then, of course, they never do it. Provinces are fiscally unsustainable. Uh, and then you see a federal government looking for money. And so they... They go after resource revenues from places like Alberta and then give it to another province to buy votes. It's garbage. It's time we stop those games. It's time that the federal government got back to the job that it was created for, focus on the things that it should be doing, like dealing with inflation, like dealing with creating new markets for our dairy industry around the world, like focusing on getting our military up to snuff and making sure we're committing 2% of GDP to uh, to, to our military spending and, and meeting our, our our responsibilities with our with our international partners, getting the job done on on security like banning Huawei. I can't believe we waited as long as we did. We're an embarrassment on the world stage. If the federal government focused on what it was supposed to do, gave the money to the provinces, the deal was to give to the provinces, so they could run their responsibilities. Uh, we could we could actually be a real leader in the world. But we're not right now. We're a joke in the world because we're dabbling in things that aren't our responsibility, not doing a very good job of it, and then talking out of both sides of our mouth and on the international stage. We need principled conservative leadership to change that. Scott, unfortunately we're out of time, but I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, enjoy Stampede!
Okay, I want to get into this story. Earlier this week, you might remember, we had we talked about all the recent discussion that's gone on around no rent list. They're, they're Facebook groups, largely, and basically it's a blacklist where people who are landlords or, or, or claim to be landlords put the names of bad renters or people they claim are bad renters onto these lists and say don't rent to them. But that's kind of the issue. You don't, you don't know if these people are landlords. You don't know if the names that they're putting up are bad renters or, you know, maybe it's somebody with an axe to grind for some other completely unrelated reason. That's part of the problem here. And, you know, there's some legal issues involved. And it's all come to light through the hard work of Lauren Boothby, who is a reporter with the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun, who's been doing a lot of reporting on this. And uh, as I say, we talked about it earlier this week and she reached out and said, great that you're talking about it, but it's my story. I, uh, how about a little credit? And she's absolutely right. Um, it, it's great work and she deserves to be recognized for it. And I'm glad she's joining us now to tell us more about it. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, I appreciate you calling me on. I appreciate it, Shay. Yeah, I mean, first of all, as an old media guy, I'm always interested because it's called enterprising media, right? Where you're not just chasing a press release. You're actually coming up with stuff and sort of and great stories like this that have legs and can, can bring about change. So how did this story come onto your radar and end up in the paper? You know, um, social media is an interesting place to find stories for journalists only mainly because it's a place where people gather and people are gathering there virtually. So it's somewhere we can find stories, right? So, yeah, I actually just, you know, was looking around on Facebook for different groups in my area. And I saw that one. I thought, oh, I wonder what's in there. And I joined it and I was kind of surprised uh, about what I found and I started to look into it. So it was just kind of by chance. And I've, I've heard that these kind of Facebook groups, like maybe not specifically blacklist with blacklists, um, are around, but in a lot of different places, there's groups I suppose where landlords are posting their tenants. And I just thought I would take a look at it. So yeah. that's how it happened. Yeah. You know, and some of the issues seem obvious, Lauren. Like I said, you don't know. Um, if these people are landlords, you don't know if these people are bad renters, you don't know if situations have changed. And I guess that's sort of what the problem is. I mean, a lot of people on the text line immediately, and last time we talked about it, it happened, and this time it's happening again. Hey, there's nothing wrong with this list. This is great. This is a wonderful tool. But there needs to be some sort of controls on it, right? That This is just the Wild West, really. Yeah, like, I think something that we as journalists know is there's a lot of bad information out yeah. there, uh, especially on social media, right? So that was initially what I thought of is I saw all these people just saying, this person's a bad renter, put them on a list, but how do you know that that claim is right? Exactly. Right? So, so like when, you know, when we verify stories, we, um, we, we have to gather a lot of information. We have to check it to make sure it's accurate. And I just, I didn't really see much of that going on. Sometimes, you know, people will say, here's photos of the damage, but then you also wonder, well, how do you know that that person is a person that caused the damage? How do you know that that person, um, those photos are from that place where they live even? Um, and also, how do we know that that person isn't just, you know, an angry ex or something trying to like, yeah, get exactly. at their ex, you know? You, you simply don't know. Yeah. And I'm sure, I am sure that a lot of those are probably legitimate, like, you know, or at the very least, there's some legitimate kind of grievance. But the thing is that we don't know which ones, and there's just a huge opportunity for it not being uh, verified, right? Yeah. So I think that that's the main issue with that is, uh, and also people who are named don't know that they're there, and so they don't have the opportunity to say their side, right? Exactly, yeah. They don't even know that they've been mm. placed on this list. Um, the guest that we had on earlier this week from the Landlords Association said, you know what, 
there are ways of doing this that are, you know, more controlled and there's more structure around it. And it can't just be people with an axe to grind. So, I mean, there's, there's the official level of this. And I think when you talk about the reporting that you did, that's kind of what you want, right? You want to point out the proper way of doing things and the, you know, the ways that are less damaging to people. Yeah, so there's already things that landlords can do to check tenants, like to make sure that they're not getting it. Because, you know, obviously a lot of landlords have reached out to me, have commented on stories, emailed me saying, I have had some of these really damaging tenants. And I, you know, I believe them that this is happening, right? Because, but the thing is that it's not verified, right? So what they can do, though, is they can do credit checks. They can do... um, I believe you could look on judgments, even court judgments, um, yeah. for people to see. Uh, and also, there are some tools that are maybe becoming more common that are, uh, you know, a third-party kind of verification thing, where it's a, it's called a landlord credit bureau or front lobby, where landlords can, um, with their tenants' uh, consent, can report their rent payments. So that kind of comes up with a more um, verified system where people can check whether or not someone's paying rent. But um, there also have been some issues I've I've uh, read from other stories about um, there being kind of like a back-end area where landlords can still like bash tenants possibly um, with the Landlord Credit Bureau. But I think they're, they maybe are changing things around. So I think those are still some fairly new tools, but there's potential that that could be something maybe that becomes more common later on. Right. But I think the main the main issue around it is around these like lists in general is like we want to make sure you know you got to make sure that the names are correct that there's consent that's accurate and there isn't this kind of blacklisting behind the scenes where people don't have a chance to you know say whether or not that's actually them exactly and, you know, yeah yeah like with with current or current like credit bureau system right like i can look at my credit yeah. i can look at the things on it and i can dispute it right so if there was something else around there, it's possible that that could be around. But, I, you know, the also, on the other hand, from, you know, maybe some housing activists and such, they also might not like that idea because it's still preventing maybe people from um, getting a home. And uh, from, you know, they had a bad experience a few years ago where they lost their job and they weren't able to pay rent, but now they can. So there's still, like, some caution there and some issues that maybe some uh, advocacy groups would raise. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, the best thing uh, uh, when it comes to the kind of work that you're doing is if it actually leads to change and, uh, you know, and, and it looks like this might. There are some investigations underway as a result of your reporting, right? Yeah, so there there is um, some some changes that look it's possible, right? So yeah, yeah. the so when I so when I found this list, I initially thought I wondered if there's if this kind of jives with the privacy laws just because I've done some reporting on privacy before. And so I asked the privacy commissioner, do you think these are, is this legal? And he said, probably not, but they'd have to investigate it, right? And and he hadn't, uh, they hadn't seen the list because I just told them about yeah. it. But um, I, I guess what I heard this week is that um, the privacy commissioner's office told me someone has filed a complaint with them. So they are going to be investigating it. Um, and I also know that Public Interest Alberta requested probably uh, another investigation. So I'm not sure what the status is of that one, but it's, you know, it's possible sure. that these things are going to be looked into and then not sure 
if anything will happen, but I guess we will find out. Yeah, exactly. And in reading the stories, I mean, you try and you, I, how have you been able to reach out to the people that are quote unquote behind these lists? I mean, when I know you've spoke to a couple of people who said, yeah, I'm on the list, but I'm not really involved and I'm not involved in it. I mean, is it, have you had a hard time tracking down the people who are quote unquote running these lists? No, I've, I've found them, but they just generally didn't really want to speak to me. So that's always a thing. As you know, as a journalist, we find something out, we reach out to someone, ask them if they want to comment. Sometimes they want to, sometimes they don't. Um, for the first list, I did interview, um, uh, he's a lawyer, actually, who is, used to be a group administrator. He was until about, you know, I, I found him as a group administrator on the group, and then about a week later, I saw that he was gone. So he used to be involved with it, and I did interview him, and he told me that, you know, there's a segment of the population that causes serious damage to yep. people's properties, and we need to be able to tell them about it. So that's what his justification was. But in terms of the others, um, the second list that I found, I um, reached out to the two administrators on there. They both were like, don't name me in the story. It's it's not, you know, I'm not really involved with it, but then... After some fact-checking, maybe that's not the case, um, as you can read in the article, mm-hmm. but um, that's what they said. Um, and then also the two people that are leading this different group called uh, Alberta Landlord Community, they um, only wanted to give me a video interview, which kind of, seemed kind of strange to me. I've never had that right. before. Um, I did offer to interview them on the phone, or you know, I sent them questions by email, but they didn't really want to do that. They'd sent me a very brief statement, but didn't really answer my questions. So it's, you know, I would have really liked to speak to some of the people to hear why, right? So that's why I did talk to some other landlords about what they think about why they kind of want something like this, even though they, it might not be legal. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's great work, great reporting. And Lauren, I I thank you very much for coming on and talking to us uh, about what you're working on and, and where it might go. It's great stuff. Um, we've talked about this before, right? We uh, it's Friday, and you know we have a little, a little uh, practice on Fridays where we try and have ourselves a little bit of fun. And uh, one way that we do that is by talking about space. Space, the final frontier. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately three thousand seven hundred and twenty to one. All right, so we're going to talk about astronauts. You ever wanted to be an astronaut? Who didn't? At least at some point in your childhood, you wanted to be an astronaut. But, uh, you know, you take a trip into space and there's consequences and we're learning more about them. Interestingly enough, thanks to a study that was done through the U of C. So to find out about it, we're going to chat now with Lee Gable, an assistant professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology and the lead author of this study at the University of Calgary. Um, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Hi, Shay. Thanks for having me. So just tell us about the study that you did. Basically, it was to take a look at the bone density of astronauts, correct? Yeah, you're correct. So, um, I mean, it's pretty common knowledge that astronauts lose bone density in space. Um, But with the new bone imaging technology we have, we can actually measure the changes in astronauts' bone on a scale as fine as the human hair. So now we're getting to understand these details about what's happening to the bone that we just couldn't study before. Um, and that's important because bone is actually a really complex structure. And we can talk about a bit, a bit about that, but the study in itself, what we did is um, we were able to follow 17 astronauts who were on long-duration missions, so um, missions around six months' length. 
And what we did is we studied bone before they went into space. They were then there for their mission. We got to study them again when they came back to Earth. And then we followed them for another year. So we really got to understand what kind of bone loss um, occurs and then can bone actually recover. So over that typical six-month mission, the bone loss that they saw is similar to what we might experience over two decades on Earth. So they're seeing about 20 years of bone loss in just that six-month period. Um, And then they come back to the Earth, and and bone does recover a bit. About half of that bone recovers, but there is some permanent loss that we're seeing due to that long long duration space flight. Okay, now, Lee, why? Why do, I mean, is it just because they're not... Is it the gravity? I mean, do you have any idea? Have you been able to get that far into this as to why you would see that dramatic bone loss? Yeah, so we got to study bone um, at uh, the ankle. So that's a weight-bearing bone. So here on Earth, you know, you're loading it all the time. Even if you're not that active or exercising all that much, anytime you walk, you're loading that bone. So you go to space and you virtually have zero loading on on the bone and and bone is a living tissue and how it adapts is basically by sensing changes in the environment. So from the bone's perspective in space, it's not experiencing any of this loading it would normally get. And so it it resorbs or um, it it loses bone because it just doesn't need it anymore to provide that strength. Was this known before your study? Like we've we've heard this before, right? There's been. I mean, I, I've read some interviews with astronauts who came back and said they felt different. Uh, was how much work has been done around this prior to this study? Yeah, I mean, even before we had the technology to send humans into space, we we were concerned about how microgravity would impact bone yeah. health. Um, but it, it's the real novelty is how we're able to look at it now. So. Um, you can think of your bone like a complex structure. So if we imagine something we're all familiar with, like the Eiffel Tower, um, not a bone, but a, this engineering structure, yeah. the tower is held together by beams and struts, and these beams are all connected, and that's how the tower um, is strong. Well, your bone at the ankle, it's made up of all these bony rods and plates, and the connections between them make your bone strong. So as we age here on Earth, our bone connections thin, and eventually some of them disconnect, and that causes our bones to become weaker. Well, this process also happens in astronauts in space, so the bone thins, and some of those, dis- those connections disconnect. But the thing is, once those bone rods disconnect and are gone, you can't rebuild them. So when the astronauts return to Earth, they can strengthen the remaining bone, but their underlying bone structure is permanently changed. And this is what is something new we're able to study now with the new technology we have. Interesting. Okay, so two questions here. Um, Can you prevent it? Is there something astronauts can do in space to prevent this bone loss? And uh, what does this mean long-term? We know that we want people in space for longer periods of time. What does this tell us about what we need to do? We're going to have to come up with a way to at least reduce some of this loss, aren't we? Yeah, well, those are both really interesting questions. So um, on the International Space Station, there, is, there are a whole host of exercise devices. Um, one of them is the resistance training device, and uh, the astronauts can perform about 29 different strength training exercises, and they use this device daily, and it absolutely does help to prevent bone loss because it, it helps load the bone, right. but it's not effective for preventing all bone loss. So one of the things we need to do is really um, improve exercise interventions, if we can, on the space station. Uh, We actually found in this study that um, the astronauts 
who went up to space and at least were performing more exercises than they would on Earth uh, in terms of lower body exercises were able to prevent more bone loss. So really tailoring exercise is key. And when we think about missions to Mars, you know, we're not going to have a big international space station. It's going to be a smaller space vehicle. So we might not be able to have this bulky resistance training device. So uh, definitely we're going to have to get a bit more creative on how astronauts can exercise. Um, We'd really love to see something like a jumping activity put in there because jumping really stimulates bone adaptation, uh, puts a lot of load on the bone, but that's something that'll have to be developed. And, I mean, I guess, realistically, we're not talking about, well, I guess we sort of are talking about people sending one-way trips into space. Maybe if we're doing that, and, you know, like the Mars missions and things like that, maybe it's a natural adaptation and we don't need the bone density because we don't have the gravity. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're not planning on coming back to Earth, that's a whole other story, right? And, you know, there is partial gravity uh, on Mars, so um, not complete microgravity. So, yeah, I guess it it depends on, on the situation, but we certainly need need astronauts to be healthy enough that when they land on Mars, they can get out of the vehicle and, and then, you know, conduct their daily lives. But, um, yeah, it will be really interesting. To it really is, going. yeah. Fascinating stuff. Lee, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.